0: Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day, they're taking a week. You have too many manual processes. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. So, you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, and one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. Having all of your business's information in one place is a powerful thing because it allows you to make better decisions, which is why NetSuite's unprecedented offer to make this possible is something to take advantage of. Don't wait. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance. Absolutely free at netsuite.com/strange. That's netsuite.com/strange to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com/strange. I'm Lauren Orton And this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. We're sure that you've picked up on this by now, but one of our favorite tasks in researching this wondrous and unbelievable world is digging through regional news archives and coming upon stories that unfolded day by day in the local papers. We like to imagine small town Americans sitting at their breakfast tables, coffee in hand, scanning the columns for updates on, say, the Sasquatch who'd been terrorizing the local elementary school. But we also imagine the questions locals must have been left with when stories faded from the papers with no satisfying explanation for the fantastic events that had entertained and perhaps even frightened them. The tales that we bring you tend to do that, leave the towns they unraveled in feeling, well, at loose ends. But that's not always the case. Sometimes our stories do wrap up nicely, if weirdly. Today, we're bringing you two eerily similar events, which took place just eight years apart back in the 1940s. Although one of the families lived in Odin, Indiana, and the other in Macomb, Illinois, and there's no connection between them, they do share a common element. That element is fire. Sudden, seemingly spontaneous fires erupting through two homes and leaving local officials with serious investigations on their hands. Different theories were proposed, and, yes, strangers, dark histories and secrets were unearthed. It's a tale of two homesteads, up in flames. In Odin, the stories become known as the Tale of the Fire Poltergeist. And in Macomb, those events have been mostly forgotten. Well, until now. To keep things simple, we'll tell you one tale at a time, and we'll start with the earlier event, The Fire at the Home of the Hacklers. The Hacklers lived just outside Odin in a two story home that, according to the South Bend Tribune, had been owned by at least two families before them. Mr. William Hackler was a farmer, but he also worked at what the Tribune described as a local cheese factory. And one of his responsibilities included fetching large quantities of milk and driving them down country roads to be processed. One morning, as Mr. Hackler was doing just that, he discovered something alarming. The Evansville courier reported that, when he got to Odin with the milk, he was told that fire trucks had been seen heading out to the Hackler home. This was around 8 a.m., and he was ready to rush to his family. But news soon arrived that the fire had been small, so, he told the courier, he decided to finish his route. And that turned out to be... A mistake. Here's what happened while William Hackler was out collecting the milk. His family, who'd been living in the home without incident for about a year, were doing their morning chores. According to the Evansville Courier, his daughter Dorothy was upstairs when she spotted what would become the first of many fires. Dorothy was shocked when she realized that the wallpaper, yes, the wallpaper, was in flames. It was a small patch of flames, but let's be honest, that would be disconcerting for anyone, no matter the square footage. Dorothy and her mother extinguished it, but the fire department was called just in case. They suspected something had gone wrong internally with the chimney, but no. When the department checked it, nothing seemed to miss. The fire truck left, only to be called again. Per the courier, a second blaze had begun on a different spot on the wall, and this time it was bigger and far more alarming. We imagined that any spontaneous fire on one's wallpaper would be a concern, but this second instance involved flames that touched the ceiling and, quote, threatened the building's destruction. If Mr. Hackler had arrived in Odin only a little later, no doubt he would have received a more serious report. By the time he made it to the property, his family and local firefighters had extinguished several more blazes. And the action didn't cease when William Hackler arrived. In fact, he told the Evansville Courier, all I did from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. was watch for more fires to break out. All in all, the paper reported that 25 infernos began across the property that day. If you're a careful listener, And we know you are. You no doubt noticed the first two fires seemed to spontaneously begin on the home's walls. The fire department reported that the chimney wasn't to blame, so it would follow something else must be at work. Now, you might be thinking, well, obviously, podcast, it was the electrical wiring. Wiring is behind walls and thus behind wallpaper. Something circuitry went wrong. And voila, combustion. And normally, you'd be right on track. But as the Times Mail reported, the Hackler home had no electricity. There was no fire burning in the hearth. Still, we might continue to examine that wallpaper for an answer, except that fires began to spring up in other places. Spots where sparks just didn't make sense. According to the South Bend Tribune, papers that were stored under a mattress – don't ask us about that one, we have no idea why they were there – caught mysteriously ablaze. Then it was the home's weatherboards. And then, per the Evansville Courier, a calendar on the wall. In fact, each newspaper seemed to revel in reporting on different burned objects. The Evansville Courier noted that a book inside a drawer caught on fire. And not the whole book either. Some pages smack dab in the middle of the text. It wasn't even an exciting book, unless you consider a high school biology textbook to be thrilling. Maybe it was in 1940. In any case, other strange places included, according to the Jackson County Banner, a set of curtains, Now, this was witnessed by two visitors, women from Odin who'd come by, we imagine, to help out, or perhaps because there wasn't a lot happening in rural Indiana that day, but they attested to the spontaneous nature of the flames. By late evening, the hacklers had had enough. Per the Times Mail, they moved the remaining mattresses outside and decided to camp in their yard. They weren't willing to sleep in a home that had caught fire at least 25 times. The Muncie Evening Post claimed it was actually 28, and no one could blame them. Though the hacklers had plans to dismantle the home and use the supplies to construct a new domicile a ways down the road, the fire inspectors first had to make their way through. And as officials conducted their search, they posited a number of theories. One, per the Tribune, was, quote, A Gaseous Condition with Spontaneous Combustion What might have caused a gaseous condition? Well, the Evansville Courier mentioned the idea that, quote, a chemical tracked through the house like insecticide or mouse killer might be to blame. It could have served as either an accelerant or perhaps produced fumes. Let it be said that we did not check with Bill Nye on that one, But the theory was viewed with some suspicion at the time. After all, other people used the same products and had no issues. The Jacksonville Banner, another paper, was surprisingly sarcastic when they wrote the following about another theory. Quote, One reason advanced is that lightning rods became charged, no one can explain how, and caused nails in the house to become hot, no one can explain that either. Apparently, The lack of lightning that day was a major plot hole for the reporters. The Times-Mail wrote that another possible source of gas was a well on the property, though there doesn't seem to be any indication it was suspicious, and how it might have created such specific fires is not explained. The other theory the paper mentions was shared by an unnamed but perhaps visionary local who claimed that The Hackler farm was in the center of a strong magnetic field, which somehow had triggered the fires. If so, there was no explanation as to how or why the fires might have begun just that day and then ended. Per the mail, authorities couldn't pin it down on any one cause. They called the fires, quote, a baffling mystery. But as for William Hackler, he had a few ideas. Although the Hacklers were viewed as down-to-earth people, when faced with the impossible, they were willing to consider, well, the impossible. When asked about his personal theory, William Hackler told the Evansville Courier that he had a few in mind. Electrical disturbances, or maybe gas pockets, or maybe spooks. In fact, that last one, ghosts seem to become more and more likely in Mr. Hackler's mind. But we'll pause the Hackler story for a moment now to introduce you to our second family. Hey there, strangers. I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShave investigate paranormal activity, haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from two totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy is a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective he tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of a haunted location on every episode steve and amy investigate a different real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects on one episode in falconer new york a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises they also see a shadow figure lurking around their home they call amy and steve to investigate There are so many crazy stories on The Dead Files, and what's interesting about Emi and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. Really, this is the perfect podcast for fans of One Strange Thing. All the paranormal activity that you love, and the great research that you've come to rely on. So, listen to The Dead Files, wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode, kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, to 1948 and to Macomb, Illinois, we're now square in the middle of the saga of the Willie family, who were not, as the Hacklers had been, a nuclear family. Instead, their household was made up of Mr. Charles Willie and Mrs. Lula Willie, who were in their early 60s, and Mr. Arthur McNeil, Mrs. Willie's brother. He was some years younger than her. Mr. McNeil had two children with his ex-wife, his daughter, Juanette, who was 12, and his son, Arthur Jr., who was 8. It seems that Arthur McNeil Sr. had custody of his children, as they'd lived with him for some years. However, they had, per the Daily Times, recently gone to visit their mother in Bloomington, Illinois the children didn't see their mother as often as they would have liked. Now, this family lived on what was, for all intents and purposes, what we'd consider to be a small farm. Multiple sources mentioned two barns and a cottage, and we imagined you don't have one barn, let alone two barns, just for kicks. But according to the Chicago Tribune, there weren't many kicks to be had. In the late summer of 1948, the Macomb, Illinois family would experience between 100 and 200 fires between two properties and lose one home and the aforementioned barns. The investigation into the Willie family fire seems, based on reporting around them, more extensive than what we saw in Indiana, and that might come down to the sheer number or the simple advancement in detection. And there was quite a lot of that even the state fire marshal and eventually the Air Force got involved. There was time for them to do that kind of investigation because unlike the Odin fires, the Macomb blazes lasted for weeks. According to the Daily Tribune, they lasted from August 7th through the end of the month and spanned two separate properties. According to the Decatur Daily Review, the fires began on the Willie property as they had at the Hackler home On the home's walls, specifically the wallpaper itself first caught flame. As the Santa Maria Times reported, quote, mysterious brown spots appeared in the family home. And those spots seemed to grow on the wallpaper out of nowhere and then caught fire. The Decatur Daily Review reported that it took only 26 minutes for their cottage to fully burn. This first led authorities to suspect the wallpaper itself might be to blame, but then, of course, fires began to spring up in other places, many other places. The most arresting was the family's main barn, then, eventually, the second, smaller barn. And as the Times pointed out, there's no wallpaper in barns. There were a number of small blazes before it suddenly caught and truly went up in flames, but when it did go, it was violently quick. Mrs. Willie told the Sacramento Bee, I just looked up and the barn had burst into flames. We just stood there and watched. There was no chance to save it. And James Peake, a Macomb fireman, said, You wouldn't have been able to save it if you'd been right there with the fire hose. He told the Bee that it was the most intense heat he'd ever felt. The local fire chief, Fred Wilson, told the Decatur Daily Review, I'm completely mystified. It wasn't only the source of the fires, but the number that stumped him. He pointed to a mysterious blaze in the kitchen cabinets, which Mrs. Willie found while the chief was putting out another fire. And while state fire deputy John Brugger was in the house conducting an investigation, the Daily Independent reported that he put out three separate fires on his own. There were a dizzying number of officials quoted in the papers during the weeks the investigation went on, and many of them began to theorize as to what might be causing these sudden, violent blazes. According to the Daily Independent, local fire marshal John Craig speculated that the home might be the site of, quote, some unusual radioactivity. After consulting with Louis C. Gust of the Office of Technical Progress at Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio. He said that Louis Gust had formed a possible connection to another recent event, a rash of aircraft fires that had taken place in the area where, quote, radioactivity is suspected of playing a role. The Sacramento Bee added more information from the Air Force. They said that Air Force officials were willing to theorize that even more than possible radioactivity, the farm might be the site of, quote, tests of radio-ignited sabotage materials. Strangers, you have to remember, these citizens were just a few years out from World War II, and the idea of such a thing just wasn't so odd. Louis Gust, who'd also given his opinion to the Daily Independent, weighed in with the Sacramento Bee, too. He told them, Suppose you had some material which could be ignited by radio, and you wanted to test it out for possible sabotage value. Would you pick a city? No. You'd pick some out-of-the-way place, like the Willie Farm. Lewis Gust apparently discounted, quote, any theories involving spontaneous combustion, which had been some of the main theories back in the Odin fires in 1940. This included those nasty gases, especially those created by products like insecticide, or perhaps those gaseous wells. Why was the Air Force interested in fires taking place in a rural area of Illinois? Perhaps it was simply the scope of the thing. As Lewis Gus told the Sacramento Bee, it's our business to investigate such matters. Ordinarily, we wouldn't go so far afield, But the situation in Macomb was just too unusual to ignore. The Bee added that many tests were being conducted at the Macomb homestead, including sampling done by, quote, National Board of Fire underwriters and the University of Illinois and state officials. They were examining the remains of the five-room cottage and even the earth the buildings had stood on. Meanwhile, the Bee reported that the Willie and McNeil families were living in a tent in their front yard. They'd been using a milking shed in the second barn as a makeshift dining room, at least for a while. But that obviously hadn't lasted, as, well, it burned down. Their insurance broker was quoted in the paper, rather nervously, as saying, "'There's no telling what will happen next.'" The Willies and Mr. McNeil and his two children eventually found new lodging some miles down the road, much as the hacklers had in Indiana. Except their problems didn't stop, and therein was found the solution to their mystery fires. Suddenly, the briefly mentioned Deputy State Fire Marshal John Brugard became a central figure in the investigation. As the Chicago Tribune reported, he came to investigate a new set of blazes that had begun to occur at their new lodgings. And he told the paper that the fires appeared to be incendiary in nature. That's a nice way of saying intentionally set, or arson. He told the paper that he'd have answers soon, and answers John Bruggerd did, in fact, find. In the last days of August, 1948, The Daily Times reported that the State Fire Marshal John Brugard, had discovered the source of the mysterious blazes that had haunted the Willie and McNeil families. Not gases, not radio signals, and not a mysterious wartime attack. No, it was, as they say, coming from inside the house. According to the Times, Juanette McNeil, age 12, confessed under questioning that she had set every single fire and with common household matches. When asked why, she told investigators that she was tired of living in rural Macomb. She wanted to go stay with her mother in Bloomington. She had enjoyed her visit there and wanted to make it a permanent situation. As far as we can tell, Juanette was not charged for the fires, though she did undergo psychiatric evaluation, and she was given over into the custody of an aunt, at least temporarily, and her mother told papers that she was sure she could get custody of both children eventually, full-time. This strange but ultimately logical turn of events offered a satisfying, if disturbing, solution to the fires in Macomb, and perhaps it could have answered the question of the fires in Odin, Indiana, too, Perhaps a stunt pulled off by someone in the home. If not for money, then maybe for some type of change. Maybe it could have. Except for one strange thing. No one was ever blamed for the Hackler fires in Indiana in 1940. No one alive, anyway. In fact, there was pretty arresting evidence that the family might have the grounds to point fingers at the dead. You might recall that Mr. William Hackler considered ghosts a possible solution to the mystery, and he wasn't just posing a fanciful option. There was some support based on the history of the home. As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the Hacklers were the third family to live in the two-story house just outside Odin. But before them, things had not gone well. The history of the two-story home, as it turned out, began in a tragic, if perhaps common way, at least for the time. According to the Jackson County Banner, the home was first built by Marshall Ketchum during the Reconstruction era. Five family members had then died of a, quote, burning fever in quick succession. Maybe that would leave some fitful spirits. But death in and of itself does not a ghost story make. However... The second owners, well, the banner wrote that the home was then purchased by Andrew Wilkie, a spiritualist. And he was a spiritualist in the most late 19th century version of that term. We're talking seances and card readings and lots of invitations to ghostly visitors during parlor entertainments. That might have been fine and well, if a bit spooky. But then, according to the Evansville Courier... Andrew Wilkie's own son had died and rather than inter the young man at the local cemetery Andrew buried him in some sort of glass mausoleum or coffin right on their property so his son could be with him all the time and so that he could be viewed after death locals reported that Andrew claimed he could still communicate with his son he would sit outside the glass grave and speak to him and he claimed his son would reply through a series of knocking noises. Whether anyone else heard his son's replies is never noted in the press. In fact, no one in town seemed to have direct knowledge to offer at all, but the memory of those events had created, well, an atmosphere around the property. The Evansville Courier wrote that when Wilkie and his wife died, their son's grave was relocated to the local cemetery and placed in a family plot with his parents. But after that, the property was considered to have a dark aura, one that the Hacklers were willing to ignore when they made their purchase. Mr. Hackler told the Evansville Courier, of course, there's always been a superstition around here that the place was haunted, but I don't believe in such things. At least I didn't believe. As far as we know, they were the third buyers of that property. The idea that a glass coffin had sat right there seemed to be no issue for the hacklers. And the rumor of spirits? That was gossip they were willing to discount, up until the first fire began. Now, of course, there was no report of Andrew Wilkie or his glass-encased son setting fires while alive or dead. But a ghostly presence was certainly a factor that the town residents were willing to consider when the fires began. And unlike the Willie family, when the Hacklers moved, those fires did not follow them. That had been a key factor in determining that Juanette had been to blame in the 1948 blazes in Illinois. But as soon as the Hacklers had escaped the confines of their property, well there were no more fires. Now, strangers, can we say it was a ghost? Or ghosts? Or, as the newspapers like to suppose, a fire poltergeist? Of course not. But no other explanations have made themselves readily available in the years since. Of course, if the home might have been examined with today's technology, we imagine the fire inspectors could have arrived at a more mundane answer. But based on the theories offered then, lightning rods, electromagnetic fields, mysterious gases, perhaps the ghosts of spiritualist past just aren't such a strange solution after all. We hope you'll join us next time for another real life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me. Except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, and monthly live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in the show notes.